the book of Luke, and you can turn there. We're going to talk about fishing today. And, uh, yeah. So we are studying Luke in chapters 1 and 2. We looked at at Christmas how Jesus came as a baby, God in human flesh, made himself known through the shepherds and the wise men and the proclamation of the angels. And he ushered in a new kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God, of which Jesus is the king, right? And all who will submit to him become part of his kingdom. That's a great news. Now, we're citizens of America, and we should be good citizens as Christians. In fact, as Christians, we should be the best citizens of our country. But we are loyal in a greater way to a kingdom beyond our country. And it's to King Jesus and his kingdom that he is building and growing and gathering. And today we're going to talk about living in the kingdom and the principles of it. And we will look at the call of the kingdom. We'll look at the strategy of the kingdom. And finally, we'll look at the the values of the kingdom. So let's begin by considering the call of the kingdom. Now, in chapter 5, we're going to do 5 and 6 today, a lot of territory here, so we'll move fairly swiftly through this, but we find Jesus at the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he's teaching from one of Peter's boats. He's set out into the water a bit, and he's got people gathered around him on the shore, and he finishes his teaching, and he asks Peter to cast out his nets. And he objects in this famous story. He said, well, no, I've been fishing all night, and I haven't caught one fish. So that's really not a very good idea, Jesus. But since you said, and I want to follow you, we'll give it a shot. Cast out the nets, and the nets are so filled with fish that they can hardly be held, and the boats are filled up, and they begin to to sink. (laughs) Remember Peter's response? He falls at the feet of Jesus, and he says, I am a sinful man. Get out of the way from me. <laughs> I can't stand in this holy place with you here. See, he had got a glimpse of Jesus and a little bit of who he was. The disciples are slowly gathering what Jesus was and who he was, and the result was a deep conviction of sin and the worship of Christ, and that really is our aim here Sunday by Sunday, is to help us get a little glimpse of Jesus in a deeper and richer way, that we would repent and turn and worship him. See, Jesus said, I've come to do this, and that is to seek and to save those who are lost, Luke 19, 10. I've come to preach the gospel of the kingdom, Luke 4, 43. This was Jesus' mission, was to gather a people who would submit to him as Lord of their life. That's what he's after. And so, he says in our text this morning, verses 9 to 11, it says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be a fisher of men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So Jesus had been with the disciples really actually for many months now. And so they were 
familiar with him and had followed him some, but now Jesus makes this official call to them. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I just love that call to us. That's God's call. It's the call of the kingdom. Follow Jesus, and he will make us fishers of men. So, what's this? This is a fishing pole. Look at the hook on this thing. I better not cast it out there today. Oh, my gosh. This is Chuck Hastings' fishing pole, and he's really good at catching fish. This would be a whopper if he got all something on that thing, wouldn't it? So, what makes fishing fun? What makes fishing exciting, kids? Shout it out. Catching a fish. Yeah, catching the fish. Like, right? I grew up fishing. Yeah, I, I grew up catching fish. And when that pole just goes like this, you know, and yeah, you get a fish on, that's when it's exciting. That's when it's fun. When you catch a fish. And Jesus says, you know, you're going to be a fisher of, sorry, Steve. I squirted him when I had the squirt guns out, so he's like a little leery of me. And he says, we're going to now be fishers of men. We're going to tell them of God's love and kindness and that he sent Jesus. And that when people choose to follow Jesus, because we've talked to him about Jesus, right? We, we, we tell him about Jesus, that, he, that God loved us and sent his son and he died for us, that we can be forgiven. We tell them about Jesus and they choose to follow him. We've caught them. <laughs> that's what it means to fish. And that's what we're to do. That's a, this is the call of all people who are following Jesus, is to be fishers of men. And we see Jesus setting the example in this chapter where he's reaching out to all kinds of people. In verses 12 to 15, he reaches out to the lepers, people who were outcasts and marginalized by culture, who were forced to declare their, their, their sickness so that nobody would be around them. And then he reaches out to the paralytic in verses 17 to 26, people who feel helpless and without hope of ever living a normal life. And then he comes in verses 27 to 32, and we see him, and this is what Liam read for us. He is reaching out to a tax collector. Levi was the tax collector's name. Turns out to be Matthew in time here. And these tax collectors were notorious for their cheating people and stealing their wealth. They were not like, they were hated. They were often the wealthy of society, but they worked for an oppressive government, and they were hated. And so Jesus reaches out to them. Like, come on, don't you have any restraint, Jesus? Are you going after everybody? And the answer is, yeah, he is. Like, everybody's invited to follow Jesus. And that's what we see him doing. And then he asks us, to join him. We're now to fish for men. And we see it's going to be hard work and it's going to require faith. This story of the paralytic, do you recall it? It was too crowded in the house and, and their fr the friends of this paralytic wanted to get him before Jesus so he could be healed. So what did they do? They climbed up on the roof and they opened up a hole in the roof and they let down the mat that he was on right down in front of 
Jesus. That took a little creativity and a little work and a little thinking and a little courage to do that. And that's what it takes to reach out to people. Sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you've got to crawl up on a roof, right? I've sat on driveways 3 o'clock in the morning in a pouring down rainstorm talking to people about Jesus. I've done it. It's not always convenient or easy. But also to go places that are sometimes a little bit uncomfortable. Here we see in verse 29 that Levi has this great feast in his house with all this large company of sinners and tax collectors. This was a rough crowd. Not really appreciated in the first century. And he gathers all these notorious sinners and he invites Jesus to the party. Now there's an example for us. Like, right? Where are the notorious sinners and the tax collectors in your life that you are gathering in and introducing them to Jesus? Who are they? Where are they? I had a day I was so frustrated with my staff that they weren't reaching out to people in the town of Nebraska I was in. So I said, we're going to go and start having our staff meetings in the local notorious bar. I wasn't joking. And I took them down there, and I got them there to the door of that bar, and they all like froze. No joke. In fact, one of them would not go through. And so the other three of us on staff took him, and we shoved him through the door. (laughs) We're going in here, right? And you know what? Some of those servers started to come to church. I don't know where they're at with God today, but they started to hear the message of the gospel. I I probably shouldn't tell you this. I have taken Sundays off of here, pretended I was on vacation, And I went with my LDS friends to their church. And they made fun of me. They did. They knew who I was. I know. And they said, well, we're going to baptize you today. Oh, no, you're not. (laughs) No, you're not. But I want to be with my friends. I want to tell them about Jesus and who he really is. Care about him, right? tells us to go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in, Luke 14, 23. But the aim is always to get them to Jesus because they had to get to Jesus in order for this man to find healing and forgiveness. And that created quite a stir when Jesus said, I forgive sins, right? Only God can do that. Now, now think about that. Like, I forgive sins and only God can forgive sins. Hmm. I wonder what we have here. got to get him to Jesus. That's the aim. And they lowered him before him in the roof. Now there's some cautions that come in this text. And it shows up in some interesting ways. I, I wish there was really time for a, a whole sermon here. But Jesus begins to talk about fasting in response to a question. And they were noting that Jesus' disciples weren't fasting at the time. But Jesus says this interesting thing. That the days will come... When the bridegroom is taken away, that's Jesus, from them, and then they will fast in those days. So when Jesus is taken away, like when he's with them, we're going to celebrate. Like the bridegroom is with us, but when he's taken away, as he is today, like, right, he's in heaven, he's coming back. He says, then my people will fast. So so we, we, we ought to be thinking about fasting in our lives. And really what fasting is, is denying some earthly pleasures to focus our hearts and our mind on Jesus. That's all it really is. Because see, there's competing pleasures in this world that can distract and dull our passion for Jesus. 
I know the youth have been talking about video games, right? And, uh, you know, those are exciting. I like them. I used to stay up after I put my kids to bed and practice. One, two o'clock in the morning. No joke. This was Kevin, Pastor Kevin. Practice so then I could beat him the next day. <laughs> I did this. Don't know if that really actually helped them on their spiritual journey or not. They love Jesus today. I'm thankful in spite of me. And but look, it's, these things, can we know this, they can diminish our desire for Jesus. They be, can become an addiction in our heart. They can become our greatest passion in our life, and they will shrivel our soul if we're not careful. Right? Food can do this. Right? Sports can do this. Yesterday I was writing this sermon. In fact, I was right at this point talking about fasting and the Seahawks were playing. I go, oh, do I have to really live this out? Can I just talk about it? I didn't watch it. Thankfully, they got killed, so I'm glad I didn't. But <clears throat> the aim is to keep Jesus as our primary passion. That's important. But second of all, Jesus now, he talks about wineskins. This is an interesting text. Uh, verse 36 says, And he also told them a parable, that no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled. And the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. So he's telling us, like, we don't patch people up. We don't make them more moral. We don't try to go self-improvement projects. They need to be made new with a new heart. They need to be born again, Jesus said. You can't just clean them up, patch them up. They need a new heart, and it doesn't th come through keeping the law or doing good deeds, but through faith and trust in Christ. See, at the end of the day, Jesus is not trying to make good rule keepers. We see this as we look in the next couple little pericopes, they call them in seminary, little sections. But that we're to be lovers of God and people and meet the needs of those around us. So the call is to be people of the kingdom, to follow Jesus and to become fishers of men. But second of all, he asks us, he teaches us a principle the strategy of the kingdom. And this strategy is interesting. It's to spend time with a few. But Jesus picks his disciples now in chapter 6. We see it in verse 12 through 16. He gathers this group of people around him. Verse 12 says, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Whoops, I'm in the wrong chapter. That was chapter 5. 6, 12, here we go. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. Do note this, right? This isn't in my script this morning. But before Jesus makes a big decision, something that's crucially important to the future of those that would follow him, what does he do? He prays, right? He prays. We see this all the time through the Gospels. Jesus takes time alone and prays. Like, okay, this is good for us to hear this. We talked about this last week. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. So Jesus now is going to show us the strategy of the kingdom, and that is to spend time with a few. 
we're going to do kingdom work, we spend time with a few. Very few of us are called to stand up in front of large numbers of people and speak. Almost all of us are called to meet with one or two or three or maybe a dozen to share with them how to walk with Jesus. And, and Jesus picks people from all walks of life, all personalities, all struggles. You see this played out, all economic levels. And he talks to the masses. He does do that, but he spends most of his time with just a few. I mean, king of kings, lord of lords, one whom the people wanted to make governor over the whole region. What does Jesus do? He says, I'm going to hang out just with a small handful of people. Well, that's crazy. But think about his success. Right? I bet almost everybody in this room can trace our way back to one of those disciples. He just kind of traces us all back. And so his strategy was to spend time with a few and turn them into reproductions of himself. Little Christ, it says in Acts 11:26, that reflect his character and priorities. People whom when others watch them say, that person has spent time with Jesus. Acts 4:13. We notice something different about those that, that do. And that's what he did. He spent time with them and then sent them out and now it's come to us after thousands of years, and it's now our turn. Paul said it this way, that he labors as a woman in child labor until Christ is formed in you. Colossians 1.28 says that we are to struggle until everyone is mature in Christ. That's now our call, every one of us, to spend time with just a few, with people, and bring Jesus into the conversation. Spend time with them, bring Jesus into the conversation. We can all do this. And see what God does. Meeting with people and then inch by inch helping them become more like Jesus, either before they receive him or after they receive him. By the way we live our life, and by the words we speak and the encouragement we give, that we would disciple everyone that's willing to gather with us to become a passionate follower of Christ, and maybe, Christians, slightly fanatical about Jesus. Can we do this? Like, right? We're so careful. Can we just be a little bit crazy about Jesus? Right? I, I mean, we're way too careful. Let's let our light shine. Speak, right? Love. I mean, you don't have to be weird, but, 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 but right? I mean, you know, I mean, uh, come on. Let's let our light shine. Christ. I, I went to a cooking school this last week with my wife, and uh, they were teaching us how to cook Indian food. Yeah. Real chef, you know, and everything, you know, with the real clothes that look like they're a chef, like, right? It was cool. And we've got to practice and make our own Indian food and, and taste it. And I'll tell you what, I am passionate about that now. I mean, I, we were telling our kids, like, we're, we're coming to Oregon, and we're going to make Indian food for you. Like, right? Like, I'm in. I'm going to go do this. I'm an Indian food evangelist. I've been trained, right? This is, this is the picture. But Jesus is even better than Indian food. He is, I promise you. Give him a shot. Be passionate, right? Passionate about Jesus and who he is and what he does for us. And this is our, this is our aim at Risen Life, what we call real life transformation that you would come to know Jesus in a personal way and it would change your life and fill you 
up with his love and joy and peace and that then you would be eager to share him. We call this real life multiplication with those who are in your circle of friendships and colleagues and people that you go to the gym with. And, and so our aim at Risen Life really is to connect you to God and to each other, to teach you God's word and to worship together so that we're transformed to become more like Christ, but then to take you and encourage you to, to find smaller groupings within the church. We have them all over the church here. First hour at 9.15. Some of you arrive at 9.30, some 9.40. That's fine. We're glad to get you here. But there's groups back in here and out here and down the hallway here and upstairs over there. There's, in the Connections magazine, we've got all the groups. There's a whole bunch of them as a place for you to connect and be with people and make relationships with those that can encourage you in your walk with Jesus and to help you walk more obediently with him and more fruitfully with him. So we want you to take advantage of this, right? Meet one another, get together, or if you miss the groups, great, say hi to somebody after church today, right? Meet a new friend. You know, there's somebody in here that this is their first time in church today. I don't know who it is. Sorry, I'm not trying to point you out if that's you. <laughs> but there's someone that's their first time in church today. Do you know how hard it is to walk into this building for the first time? This is a hard thing to do. You ever gone to the doctor's office and sat out there and go, I wonder what he's going to do to me next? That's a little bit of what it feels like to come through these doors sometimes. Like, what are they going to do? Like, right? I've had good friends in my neighborhood that I've invited to church. They showed up out there in the parking lot. I was thrilled to see them. Went out there to meet them, right? We walked up to the front door, and they got to the front door, and they stopped and froze. And I said, Mary, we're going to have to shove them through. <laughs> and we did. We got behind them, and we shoved them through. <laughs> and they liked it. But it's hard. But somebody here today is in that place, and you're sitting next to them, Maybe. You're going to show them the love and grace of Christ and be good to them, right? Come on, let's, reach, let's, let's love people around us, care for them. Like you are here this morning not just to hear a sermon and sing some amazing songs, a fabulous worship team. But we're here to be together and to connect and to find people that we can encourage in their walk with Jesus or help them find Jesus for the first time. Well, finally, the final principle here this morning is, is this, the, the values of the kingdom, which is love and humility. Now, there's a lot of values to the kingdom, but these are the ones Jesus chooses to point out to us. So it's, it's, these are powerful. These are central. Love and humility, the values of the kingdom. Um, and the kingdom, this is like a duh, Ralph statement, but the kingdom values are way different than the worldly values. Right? This is why Jesus has to talk to us about them. I, I like California. I always have, always had family in California. I love the energy of the place. I love Los Angeles. My kids live in Los Angeles. I'm happy because now I get to go there regularly. Crazy Kevin loves California. Right? Hope that doesn't discourage you from the rest of the sermon. But, <laughs> but look at, I mean, the, the values in California are definitely different than the values of the kingdom, right? When you go to California, you understand and you see quite quickly that the accumulation of possessions is important, that being fit and looking good is important, right? The pursuit of fame and popularity is a big 
thing there. And they run this torrid pace of life that you, I don't know how they ever keep up for years. Maybe they don't. But this is the values of California, right? Listen to those, and now listen to what Jesus said are the values of the kingdom. Blessed are you, verse 20, chapter 6, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied later. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Sound a little bit opposite from California? Now look at it. It's not that wealth and being liked and satisfying our appetites for pleasure are bad in themselves. But Jesus is saying, don't make them the focus of your life. Don't make them your pursuit. Don't make them what you chase after. The values of the kingdom are quite different. Live for things that matter eternally sacrifice, lay down your life, serve, right? suffer in giving your life away, and great will be your rejoicing. You want true joy? You want lasting joy? Lay down your life. Now, here are the values of the kingdom specifically. The first one will not surprise you. Verse 27, it's love, right? Value of the kingdom Value one, love. Verse 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Love people. And we'll talk about enemies in a moment. But, but this is the summation of all the commands. Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Summarize all the commands, Jesus. What are they? Love God and love people. This is it. This is, what, this is the first value of the kingdom. It is to love. Look, at, we know this. That this world severely lacks love. People at their core are, are hurting and suffering and struggling. And the antidote to those pains and those struggles is the love of God. That's the medicine they need. And Romans 8.37 says that there is overwhelming victory in the love of Christ. That when love gets to our hearts, we're able to say no to sin, we're to stand tall, we're accepted, and we can walk with strength by the Spirit. Love has to pierce our hearts. And so our aim should be, Christians, to fill the hearts of all people everywhere and everybody we encounter with the love of God. First principle, lay down your life for them, meet their needs, serve them. But it says to do this for our enemies. Now, Jesus, you made sense to us until this, like, right? Like, enemies, really? Yeah, enemies. Like, right, if you can do the hard one, it's easy to do the easy one. People who aggravate you, that you don't like, maybe you even hate them, right? We, you know, we all have had people like this in our life. But listen to me. Mary and I say this to each other all the time. 
because like you, we go through life and somebody aggravates us in the day and we talk about them, right? Like, <laughs> if we only knew the story behind their mood, behind their actions that day, we would probably look at it differently. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what they just left at home. You don't know what they looked like 20 years for them when they were being raised in their childhood. You and I don't know. And we would have a lot more mercy and probably think a lot more graciously about them if we just heard their story. So here's how we love them. Listen to their story. Ask them. Don't just get aggravated. Reach out to them. Find out about them and what has make, makes them tick. And you will then have the opportunity to speak the grace and love of Christ into their life. And you don't know what God might do. I think there is, a, I'm probably stepping on dangerous territory here for a moment, but I think there is a tendency in our culture today to quickly shun people and to turn our back on them so fast, just snap decisions. And the words that I hear a lot, I hear it a lot, and it aggravates me a little bit. Not that these words don't have but meaning. Oh, they're toxic. Now look, there are toxic people, right? Now, please hear me. Oh, they're narcissists. Right? You hear those words? I mean, all the time I hear these words. Well, everybody's a sinner and therefore a little bit toxic. And everybody's a little bit selfish and therefore a little bit narcissistic. Right? Let's not just shun them quickly and just write them off our list. Jesus said, love those people. Now, look, there are some people, I guess I've got to be careful. There are some people that you need to just say, you know, I like this isn't working for me. There are some of those. But most of them are not. I've probably had two in 40 years of ministry that are like that for me. Let's move toward those that are hard for us and see what God might do. That might be the very person that God is leading you to, to love and to see them find Christ. So we love and we love our enemies. But also we are to be humble. Verse 37. <clears throat> Judge not... And you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Forgive. Release people. Don't pay them back. In other words, just be a gracious person to people in their weaknesses. Don't react harshly with criticism to those who have faults around you that you feel. This world is so critical of others. Don't jump on that bandwagon. Be gracious. Don't judge. And certainly don't condemn. And, and do you notice the motivation in this verse? It says, judge not so that you will not be judged, right? Condemn not so you won't be condemned. Forgive so that you will be forgiven. That's a pretty big motivation. Don't condemn which is casting a final judgment about a person, making statements about their identity. Oh, that person's a liar. That person's a thief. That person's a pervert. You don't get to make that judgment. God gets to make that judgment, and he's the only one that gets to make those kinds of judgment. Mary and I, Mary had, a, Mary and I had a tough day Friday, and, uh, and uh, we got home, and we were kind of sitting there in our soup, and... Uh, it was tough, and you know, we just said to each other, this wasn't our greatest moment. You know, we are losers. We looked at each other. 
And Mary looks at me and goes, your hand's backwards. <laughs> I can't even be a loser right. <laughs> Don't do that, right? We're not losers. We're children of God. We're children of the king. God gets to make the final judgments of our lives, even from our own condemning spirits, right? And then he says this kind of remarkable thing. Verse 38. But give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. And so what he's asking us to do is to be generous. To be generous in our estimation of people. I think the best of them. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Speak positively of their good qualities. And don't look down on them for their struggles and their failings. Don't do it, right? Forgive them again and again. That's what he's asking of us. And then he says, rather than being a judge and condemning, do this. Right? This is, this is crazy. 41. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hear what Jesus is saying? All those people that are aggravating you, all those people that are pressing your buttons, the problem is probably not them. <laughs> the problem is probably you. Jesus said, I did. that's not Kevin. I, that's Jesus saying this to you. Right. And so what we are to do when we run into these challenging people is go, what is my part of the problem? What is God doing with me? And ultimately, Jesus is going to call me to account for my life and not anybody else's around me. I'm accountable for one, and that's me. All right, so here we go. Here we close. Wrap up, band, you can come on up. <coughs> this is time for a heart check, people. Here we go. This is Jesus coming to us now. <coughs> he says, okay, check your hearts. Where are you at with all this? Verse 43. <coughs> for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produced good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Jesus is asking us now, okay, are the values of the kingdom in your heart? Are you living a loving, humble gracious life with those around you. And he says it comes out of your heart. It's out of the heart that comes the good or the bad. It's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so to love and to be humble and to be gracious is a supernatural act of God and a supernatural response on our behalf. <clears throat> because it comes 
from a heart that has tasted God's mercy. It comes from a heart that has experienced grace beyond what they are due, and therefore they look at those around them and go, I better be gracious because God has been so gracious to me. Because we're reminded in Jeremiah 17.9 that the heart is desperately wicked. And so if your heart is merciful and it is gracious and it is kind, it's because God has done something in there. And every human being needs a new heart supernaturally touched by God and His grace. Every one of us. What naturally comes out of us is judgment, condemnation, hate. Those are the natural things. But when we taste God's mercy and we taste His forgiveness and we know how much we've been forgiven, we turn around and go, I better be kind. I better be forgiving. I know what I've done to others and I know what I've done to God. And this is why Jesus died to take God's judgment that we deserve and to hang on a cross for our sins that we can be forgiven when we repent and give our life to Him. By grace, <laughs> apart from anything we do, we are forgiven and made right. Instead of being an enemy of God, now we're he is our, we are His precious child, forgiven and accepted by Him. So the question this morning as we close is this, have you experienced the mercy of God and His goodness? Have you come to the end of yourself trying to be good and go, I can't do this, right? can't do this. I need God's mercy. I need his help. Have you seen how kind and how patient he has been with you to this day to give you life new every day? When the Bible says, right, we deserve death. And he is inviting you and me this morning into his mercy one more time, or maybe for the first time, to seek his forgiveness and freely receive it in his grace that we then would be vessels of mercy to everyone around us. That's the call of this text. Let's pray. Let's just take a moment with God. Maybe we just need to ask him for forgiveness, for mercy, for our judgmental attitudes, for our lack of love, for those we have shunned, for not being humble, for pointing fingers at others. Just take a moment with God. He's excited to give you mercy through His Son. Let's ask Him to forgive us. So, Father, we're thankful that you are a loving, good God. Thank you that you have treated us with amazing grace and patience and kindness, enduring all kinds of rebellion and harshness toward others. We ask you to forgive us for that. Your values are to love and to serve and to be humble. Fill us with your spirit, God. We need a new heart day by day. Fill us. And God, thank you that we get to be fishers of men by showing mercy and love to others. Oh God, please use us. Give us courage. 
with creativity. Help us to do the hard work of getting up on the roof and letting people down in front of you, Jesus, whatever it is. It is the great joy and privilege of our life to be fishers of men. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.